Good afternoon. Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Hope you can hear me okay. Now, as per usual, I'm forever paranoid about this technology. It didn't just play me that video, for example. I just got the blaring audio through. But as far as I can tell, it's working. I can see my co-host Ben Wilkins is here and joining me for our monthly newscast. We talk about public health. Um, and he is the man uh, that we trust in that space, the CEO of Good Boost and a good friend of the show. Ben, welcome back. And it's been an interesting month, hasn't it, for public health with all the opening up and all the stuff that's going on, as well as the nice guns we're going to talk about. Yeah, it's been a really interesting one. And to give you a bit of feedback on your intro, I could have been at a rugby match right there or an NFL one because the music, the, the the pyrotechnics on screen, that was, um, yeah, that was, I haven't <laughs> seen that before. That was, uh, that was a great change. Yeah, well, there's been yeah. a lot going on this month, definitely. Cool. Yeah, well, well, that's, do you think that these sorts of, as the world is starting to at least attempt to normalise, the conversations such as we've been having on the newscast in recent months, they just become more, I feel like they become more and more relevant because People are starting to have to re-engage with like, what are the sort of nominally sociological interventions that do naturally overlap and should be integral to MSK, the things that you mean you are passionate about, getting people to think that bigger picture. It feels like the, com the conversations of pointing people in those directions and signposting them just become easier as we start to open our minds again to the world beyond Zoom, I guess. Yeah, here's hoping. And uh... I think there's a few milestones to get through. I mean, I know that where we work in a lot of leisure centres, they're holding back until group exercise is available. But the moment those milestones are hit in terms of reopening the country, the opportunities out there to think about integrating self-management into the community will be viable. Social prescription and signposting will truly take place again. Uh, it's just getting through to those milestones now. Mm, absolutely. Now, one of the things that's occurred in recent weeks is that the that NICE published the... Um, chronic pain guidance for that's been long long awaited and we had we were privy to some of it because mskr was a stakeholder group and we'd, we'd submitted some feedback on various different things and and there's some stuff that's there that's not surprising some stuff that is it's been somewhat controversial in some quarters but generally speaking how would you describe the sort of conclusions that it's come to as if as if a theme uh i think as a one word response it has it's destroyed and debunked the perception that drugs are the only way to treat pain. I think cl clinicians and health institutions have been very aware for a long time, but I think it's, it's really important for people living with long-term condition and, and chronic pain to have that kind of out to them as well. But it can also create a lot of fear because you've got a bunch of people who are going, are you going to take away my medication, which has become a huge part of my self-management and dependency on that. So it's been great that you guys have published this. It's been great they put some recommendations of alternative therapies, but it doesn't mean that they're easy to access for people living with chronic pain or easy to recommend to clinicians and signposts to either. That's one of the things that I'm sure we'll get stuck into is that we're, we're going to talk and unpack on this show a little bit about suggestions as to what infrastructure and things we need to implement to, to better support therapists and clinicians to enact some of this guidance of which we'd be supportive of. But I wondered just your thoughts on, do you think it's NICE's job? Because some people have said, NICE, it's all well and good in saying this, but the fact that they've then stopped short of then giving suggestions or helping support the infrastructure that would be the, how do we enact this? Do you see that as being a failing of NICE and the guidance, or do you just see that as a, a inevitable consequence of these sorts of things? That it's up to, it's up to us, it's up to the MSK community. Where, where do you stand on that? Ooh, I do not think it's a failure on NICE and the guidance. I think I think a lot of the options are there, and without the pandemic happening, 
GP referral programs, social prescribing, everything that's going on. There are loads of community offerings now for people to do these therapies. Uh, I can see in the chat that acupuncture has been put with a huge exclamation mark, and acupuncture can now be used in certain defined guidelines uh, for managing chronic pain. It, it's not just the fact that it, the opportunity is being there, GP referral programs, all these kind of things, and ledger centers in the community. It's it's the transition from a person living in chronic pain, not just being offering them in the community, but then taking those steps to engage and on their self-management journey. I think that's what's missed out a little bit in here. It's great that it's been put forward that it's not all about pharmaceuticals and drugs. There are these things that have the evidence behind them, escape pain, everything else is in the community. But I feel where the, where the, where the gap is, is how we're going to support patients to truly take up these op these options yeah i mean i if we allow ourselves to think sort of utopian on stuff like this and me and you have joked before about the fact that we as organizations we quite like that idea of almost you sort of pitch for what's perfect and then we end up as pragmatists rather than sometimes people are looking at the detail of the pragmatism and then aiming and aspiring whereas i think mm -hmm. me and you like to sort of blue sky think we've talked about that before i think even on this show so if you think about what that probably would look like i think that the, the workforce aspect would be that if the, if that was possible you would have really well-trained people and lots of them as, as advocates, as partners, as, 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 as people helping those with those with these symptoms and those aspiring to these interventions to, to help make those correct decisions that are also well trained in the appropriate uh, triage and, and stratification of that, whereby there's some serious pathologies or other things that need to be investigated further to make sure that things can't masquerade. You know, we hear horror stories of people that, that have uh, been palmed off uh, for, have got serious pathology that just also con concurrently have persistent pain. We'd hate for those to get missed. So, but but it also the reason I'm describing that as utopian is because we know that there's there's workforce and access problems with that. Do guidelines like this help us aspire in that direction? Though, like we could we could think of that MSK professionals, especially those in our network. Of course, I'm just going to flatter. Um, our, our listeners and, and, and the MSKR and Good Boost and, and Physio Matters ecosystem that we're helping to create, right? We we know that those are the sorts of people we'd love to proliferate. Do you think we this this helps us get there, or is it something that ends up being a bit of a distraction? Because essentially, it's it's it feels that the narrative I'm hearing a bit about when people have read about the nice guidance is that it it, it risks the fact that people then just look at our existing systems and then try to then just bolster those rather than support what would need to be quite radical reforms and, and, and changes in workforce. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. I mean, I mean the, the guidelines do reference things like shared decision making, the importance of looking at every individual, uh, how pain in impacts their day-to-day -day activities, goal setting. And these aren't these aren't new words. They've been around for ages. I remember one of the first Physio Matters podcasts I listened to with Mike Stewart around kind of reframing pain, using metaphors as part of clinical reasoning. It's great that the guidelines have, have, have cited the importance of shared decision making. What I don't know is from a clinician day to day who has got now an even bigger case they could get through because of the backlog of COVID. Sure. Um, how are they going to find the time to truly invest emotionally into having those conversations about shared decision making, um, about coaching rather than telling? Um, you can go on those, all the training courses, but when you've got deadlines and KPIs to hit, it doesn't mean you're going to go and do them. The rubber, yeah, the rubber hits the road on that, doesn't so, it? It's like I think it's great. 
it is blue sky thinking. The, the guidelines have really highlighted the, the role of shared decision making, the importance of really spending time to understand and set goals with, with people living with long, long term and persistent pain. Um, but just using a buzzword doesn't mean it's going to be implemented. <laughs> well, no, exactly. It's, it's something that is at risk of being all talk unless we can think of ways to do it. And I think one of the things that I get frustrated about is that there is some pockets of not even just best practice, but like beyond just you can't imagine that the, the, the examples and case studies and some of which you've highlighted to me before across the country where they're just doing things brilliantly. And I don't know if you saw the episode, I think it was last week with Darren and Becky from uh, Connective Done a Public Health Intervention Service and, and they're, they're getting some great results and stuff. And it's like, but they are silos, right? It's just, we're just deep in the postcode lottery, which we've talked about on this show with you before. But I, I just think that these, they need to be opportunities rather than just challenges. I'm not trying to just neg on it, but I'm just looking on and just thinking like, the way in which this guidance should support a lot of what we kind of know to be best practice, but it could be such a it's such a confrontation that it might feel like too big a mountain to climb. I think it might it might feel quite intimidating, and the timing of it um, within the within the pandemic and the waiting list and stuff like that is that to some extent it's going to be there's going to be temptations for clinicians that are that are facing lists of you know, fifteen to twenty patients that the the exhaustion. Of, of of doing that that sort of co a good way of framing it really the coaching rather than telling model is going to be tough um and 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 so whilst we and i think that that, that i take on that challenge by the way you know i, I really want to then think what can we do what can what resources can we provide how can we use uh, the digital education that, that we've been able to produce to, to support that um but again the, the burden does seem to land squarely on clinician shoulders so what do you see as being the um the key things you would advise that people start to engage with and think about with regards to, say, social prescribing or other signposting opportunities, where do you think the biggest fish to fry are for people that want to better themselves there, but also not not just pile a load of pressure on themselves as individuals and be able to actually then distribute that work and that treatment and care elsewhere in the community? Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you. The, the real challenge here is that... <laughs> Delivery of therapy and access to therapies is patchy at community level across the country. And so this definitely needs to be addressed urgently. And if, if the new guidelines are going to make a genuine difference it, for people with living with, with chronic pain, then we need to figure it out. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the principles behind social prescribing and what it can offer and what it can do. It is still patchy. It is still trying to figure out moving from a lot of social prescribing, either transitioning to digital or having to launch as digital through the pandemic and now moving into face to face. Mm. But what I believe it presents is the opportunity because you have you have an additional health professional who key uh, role and training has been around motivational interviews, shared decision making, understanding the community. And having that time where other clinicians in therapies and in medicine just don't have those time to have conversations. And that's where it represents something that we've never had before in terms of capacity. If that can be done effectively and it's rolled out at the pace of the ambitions that is currently being put forward by the NHS and the Academy for Social Prescribing and the other institutions that are supporting it, WIS, UK Active, um, all those organisations, if it can be delivered in, alongside their ideas, their aims and ambitions, I believe it can happen. It's going to take some more time yet. Um, I mean, I'm a massive advocate for the existing frameworks of things like leisure centres throughout the nation. There are four and a half, 
5,000 gyms and leisure centers. And these, these represent consistent venues that have staff available um, to offer that face-to-face -face support, uh, different equipment and facilities there um, with people experienced to support people with long-term health conditions. Um, there are, I know there are new programs of, to training at PTs and, uh, and in, uh, fitness instructors. They feel more confident working with people with pain and MSK conditions. So I think it's all there. It's just it, 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 when this idealized view that I have of what can be is still two, three, five years away, and that's what we're waiting to get to. I think that's that's the gap between these guidelines coming out and yeah. what actually be a reality in the community. Yeah, and and that that professional that professional support and backing and integrated working mm. for the sort of. This is what's interesting about MSK therapies, isn't it? What a perfect bridge between, say, med medicine and personal trainers, medicine and lifeguards that are then wanting to pursue those sorts of uh, understandings and stuff. And I think that's what is exciting. But also, like, I I'll admit, you know, I look at this and I think it's it just feels a bit daunting considering all the challenges that we face with regards to... Also, I think there would probably be... Do you think there will be a bit of a... A pushback from a uh, from a medical pharmaceutical standpoint, especially with the, a very well funded industry that might want to want to infer, you know, don't get too carried away on this. You know, you uh, do you think that that will come, or do you think that that they they kind of probably respectful of where, where, what the, the harms that have been caused sometimes, especially. <laughs> I, I, if I'm honest, I'm not sure. I do not know the extent of the conspiracy behind big pharma and what, <laughs> what lobbying powers they may pay to how. <laughs> how heavily these new guidelines will be implemented or actually how much they may have influenced uh, or tried to influence these guidelines coming out. Um, what I do believe is that the guidelines will encourage people to think differently about pain management. Yes. Um, even if we're not there yet in terms of this beautiful connected community delivery of, uh, of, of, of pain therapies, MSK therapies, they will give people the confidence to start thinking differently and that they've got a little bit of a mandate to start approaching things differently rather than just dishing out another prescription or giving another never injection absolutely now i, I want to make sure that um i won't we won't duck james morgan's point with regards to acupuncture and stuff so i'm, I'm happy to weigh in a bit on that um but also i want to ask anyone that's tuning in live i know most of you of course watch after the fact on your commutes and the like or visit the uh, spotify or apple podcast stream which is audio only so please do feel free to email us info at physio-matters.com when you have any feedback or comment on the feeds if you visit the videos afterwards. But those that are tuning in live, I always want to try to get you involved where possible and some comments are coming in. Uh, we had some problems with the Facebook stream yesterday, which seems to be working. But I just wondered, for those that are listening live, what do you, what's your take on the guidance if you've read them, read the summary, uh, heard some of the headlines, including those that James has mentioned about acupuncture? But what's your take on that as well as what me and Ben have said so far? You know, of course, we're, we're admitting that a big net benefit of it is this idea of thinking differently about persistent pain and also thinking less interventionally barring the sort of uh, big a word uh, we'll come to in a second but just what are your thoughts on it how, how confident do you feel in actually applying it not just you as an individual but your say teams colleagues how well equipped do you feel as, with, with a, a signposting network or how integrated are you to those other services to your local leisure centers those sorts of things. So um, I've asked you what 10 questions there pick one of them and let me know if you fancy in the chat box Acupuncture, um, Ben, I'm not going to get you on the hook unless uh, I've no idea as to your views with regards to acupuncture, although, of course, interested if you do want to weigh in. But I will admit myself that I'm someone that doesn't necessarily, sometimes people expect me to be an absolute nihilist against it, right? I'm someone that did actually train in acupuncture and used it 
uh, quite a lot actually for the first six months of it being a new skill in the toolbox type thing, right? Um, but don't anymore. I can't think of the last time I used it. However, I'm not completely averse to it for, for this reason. I think one of the things that's kind of typically irritated me about it as an intervention is when it's inferred to be um, a very specific intervention, right? When it's when it's inferred to be something that, especially the sort of dry needling brigade that are inferring tissue-related physiological challenges that, that really you could retrofit my critique of, of specific manual therapy into that, right? This inference that you're changing tissue characteristics as if that's the key relevant variable to someone's symptoms um, bothers me. But when it comes to putting acupuncture needles into someone and it, it, it's eliciting in some people a quite interesting neurological response. I think one of the reasons, by the way, I'm admitting that this is something that I therefore hold a bit of a candle for is I am someone that does seem to, my body responds in a really interesting way to acupuncture needles. And, and it's something that despite my natural skepticism, it's something that if that's a placebo, it's a hell of a powerful one in a skeptic, right? I don't seem to be primed for it to work like that. But fundamentally, I get some weird ass responses, including sometimes a potent pain relief uh, to that can occur. And therefore, I don't, like some do, um, become a nihilist to say that it hasn't got any place whatsoever. Now, that comes with all the caveats. You think, well, if I think that, that why do I seldom use it? That's where it becomes quite complex, and that's a podcast in and of itself. But just to admit, for me, I don't, like some seem to have been triggered by that word, right? Just just up in arms about the fact that that would ever be mentioned. I don't have that response. But similarly, if it was front and center of the guidance and inferring that that is the route out of pharmaceutical intervention solely, I'd be, I'd, I'd be, I'd be pretty outraged. But that's not what I've read into these guidelines, right? I've, I think it's something that has been, it's been, it's been mentioned. Yes, it might piss some people off, but I think that we should have a more mature conversation that seems to be in had, whereby you've got your advocates then doing a merry dance, and you've got your people that want it to be a word that they never hear again, up in arms. I'd rather somewhere in between, and that's my position. And maybe if there's an interest for it, we can talk more about that on, on other shows. As I said, Ben, you feel free to, to, to opt out if you want, but I just wonder if you have a take on acupuncture. Uh, I think acupuncture has a real value to, particularly to the individuals who they feel it helps them. I think that's the important thing. Uh, I have the same, I have a similar viewpoint around things like mindfulness. I think mindfulness too is too often thrown around as the panacea for almost everything. And actually, hmm. for, for certain people, it will be really effective. Um, for some people, yes, it is their personal panacea, but actually it doesn't mean it's the, it's the one-stop shop to, to cure everything in terms of mental health. And I think, rightly as you put, if, if it was just acupuncture being put forward, I think I have more reservations. But five, seven, ten years ago, I used to be very hot on debating anything that came through like this where I didn't feel there was a sufficient evidence space to support it and I remember having loads of arguments with colleagues and tutors and professors and everyone else in between I've definitely calmed down a lot now I think where the most important thing for me is having choice and optionality right. and ultimately for some people it would just be aromatherapy which is the most most effective thing just smelling different things from an emotional sensory point of view is what calms them down and actually manage their pain fine go for it fully support that mice may never back it because there may be a lacking of evidence there but ultimately where we can have choice and options for people to choose him that they feel works for them that's a positive step forward within therapies and i think that that's what's interesting is that the mechanism of effect the inference on a mechanism of effect is something that we end up being quite passionate about and so if there was uh, suggestion if in the nice guidelines it says well one of the most important things for people with persistent pains is their chakra and their chi flow is well off 
and that unless we redress that, then no wonder we're struggling with these opioids, right? You're not you're not getting me and Ben nodding along to that. But similarly, what we're actually describing is something that the policy conversations about how that is appropriately funded or not within the health system is something that nice nice often weigh in on. And I think that's where people get a bit twitchy. And I'm well up for that discussion, right? Where what is the threshold of quality evidence that means that it should then be tax funded on MSK pathology or or on um, or chronic pain um, presentations? That's an interesting discussion that we probably can't do justice right now, but you know, I'd, I'd encourage any of our listeners who are into the discussion, into the debate, to not not get carried away on either thing. Right? Just check yourself against what you would react like if nice guidelines happen to promote your favourite thing, um, and and hold you know, put, try and see every intervention through the same appropriate filter. That's kind of what I'd like to to say. Faith Stones has made a really lovely point here, and I've heard this a bit this week. I think it's always good when nice guidelines catches up with us. Um, it does feel a little bit like that, Faye, doesn't it, with regards to, um, I'd say less so acupuncture, admittedly, but I mean like what we've been talking about in terms of our you know, trying to deprescribe and, and recognising that there's more to this than drugs is exactly what Ben's described as being the sort of one of the key takeaways. And that definitely feels like a vindication for those in the active therapies game as we often are. And so I really loved it. I love that point. Joe Turner has said, maybe we also need to shift our mindset a little around coaching model being harder. What do you think of that then? Because we have both done that today, haven't we? Then we've kind of inferred and implied that it is harder. And I'd probably, I'd, I'd, I'd admit that myself really, is that I find that to be harder to deliver. Do you think that maybe we're making a mistake there and probably scaring people away from from learning in that direction? Yeah, I, um, I remember talking about this uh, at the last uh, Therapy Live event at the um, uh, Women's Health event, uh, talking about how do we encourage uh, grassroots opportunities for, for pregnant women or women to be more active. Mm. And it's telling people just doesn't work. And I keep going on like, like telling people exercise is good for them is not going to be the thing that gets them to be active in the way that just telling people that alcohol and smoking and drugs is bad for them is not going to get them to stop doing the things. I, 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 so I agree with Joe that it's not harder. I think it's a shift in, shift in conversational style for clinicians and therapists mm. out there. That it's not something we do in every day, and, that, and actually it isn't any harder in terms of the time and investment. So the, the change would be speaking to a patient in front of you to ask them, do you think that physical activity could be good for your knee, whatever the condition is? Um, they respond and they probably will say, yeah, I think it probably could be beneficial. Uh, and you go, well, what kind of activities do you think would be good for your knee then? They might say walking, swimming, whatever else, cycling. So how do you think you could possibly maybe start at 10 minutes of that? What, what, would be, what would be your way to approach that? And they could go on this, but this is, this is a difference. It's a lot more questioning and coaching rather than saying, you've got the OA. Do you know what, walking and cycling is really good for you. You need to get on your bike for 10 minutes a day. It's the same outcome, but just, and same time and investment in the number of words used, but just posed in a slightly different way. And the likelihood of that person taking it on as their internal locus of control and enacting on, them, on acting on it is so much greater result, but no harder in terms of the clinician's point. It's just a shift in mindset of how we have this conversation. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Definitely one that I need to reflect hard on to try and recognize that, that just because existing models have sometimes meant that it's felt like that burden does land too squarely on the clinician. If we train our own and grow our own and they kind of emerge into a world in which that is the norm rather than something that has had to be then a reformation of their own practice, then that will be easier because it could require 
less energy than more and, and doesn't necessarily overwhelm but but it's a there's a shift in mindset and it's a really interesting point so thanks thanks joe for that um i think one of the one of the things that um what you've just described highlights to me is how that style of intervention is made a lot easier in my opinion from being able to follow that conversation up with i don't know if you've heard that the local leisure center is currently working with good boost or that and i'm not just doing a cheesy product placement on on our shared passions but i'm just meaning that also you could retrofit me saying I don't know if you've seen the new bike and track group yeah, yeah. actually works exactly. locally over for, and then that's for people with persistent pain as well or that there's some sort of demographic specificity that can really relate and resonate with people that, that they know that they're not otherwise just going to get get lapped with lycra clad cyclists right they feel like actually it's something that is an entry-level access beginners that sort of stuff but it is just such it's an it's an easier conversation when there is an a, an appropriate outcome to say this isn't something that you only have to self-serve or between the two of us we're going to need to self-serve that there is actually a community scheme of which we can move people into mm. do you or you know i admit do you, do you think i'm sometimes overplaying that and until we've got that in place then tough shit jack i don't know <laughs> no i put the thing I, I it also could could be a huge problem so i'm a, I'm a trustee of a, of um a health watch in south west london and one of the challenges that we had last year around the last couple of years around mental health is that mm. there's some great challenges in social enterprises offering mental health support in the borough and the clinicians knew about it i'm just going here's where we need to go i i have either finite appointment time and resources but this is a great community community organization the challenge then is they the referral and sign that were huge their waiting list became gargantuan and ultimately they weren't receiving any additional funding for a much higher caseload of people they were supporting the community so the challenge is is in not just having an option to refer into but having sufficient options with enough capacity where those options are also well funded hopefully by some sort of health budget to make sure they can pick up but it, it gets even more complex because in order for them to get that budget, they need to demonstrate impact, they need to measure their outcomes, so they can go back to the, to the um, uh, P, uh, PCN or CCG to say, this is why we're justified, we should be re receiving some income. Um, it's not just a case of pushing the problem but out in the community and expecting that third sector organizations can just pick up and provide those services. Yeah, I know, and I think what you've just described there is such a, you need, your, your clinicians don't just need to signpost they need to understand thoroughly what it is that they're they're moving people to and appropriately believe in it right it's like one of the mistakes that's made, been made with the sort of rep scheme or other or exercise intervention scheme in local gyms is sometimes it's been like a therapist and have been and understand why because of the time pressures we've described but they've kind of saw that as a an exit strategy a discharge strategy rather than it being something that they truly believe in that intervention being the best thing for that patient, rather than it being like, I'm out of time. Right, I still think that me and you and interventional care is still what would be optimal, but we can't do that for another five sessions. Therefore, go and see plan B because I've, I'm, out of, I'm out of time, I'm out of choices. That mindset's massively relevant to how that's instilled in that patient's understanding of it, and therefore their their compliance, their comprehension, their engagement with that service, as well as the fact that that sometimes ends up being a dumping ground, and that yeah. waiting list is where people don't necessarily do. And it's not these aren't easy things to solve, but when what else do we prioritize if not that? Like what 
Mm. It, 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 it's all rhetoric otherwise, isn't it, right? All of the stuff that we're coming to realise, you rarely find people now that, like, I am actively against social prescribing, right? Or I, you know, these community things that Jack and Bennett and others are talking about, no, I think that they're not all the cracked up to be. I just don't think you find those people so much these days. I mean, at least publicly. You know, we know that they're there sometimes stalling us all on the boards of some places. But generally speaking, people know that this is the, the next frontier, really, is a better integration of health and leisure. But we don't necessarily, doing the doing is the, is the next bit, right? We've got to stop talking and start doing. And, and obviously, you know, the, the, the schemes, including your own, are, are ones of which I massively support. Louise Huntley is, is, is seemingly to reiterate some of what we've just described there. But what would you therefore say, Ben, if you could, with, with your expertise in this, as to say Louise or others are then wanting to see more collaboration with local legislators, what are your top tips? Is it literally just go and, go and get an audience with said local leisure centre manager, especially right now, or is it, do you think that needs, things need to be a bit more calculated than that? What's your best tips? No, and actually, I, I, I engage with a lot of the larger operator, letter operators in the UK, and they are looking for those collaboration relationships. So there is no harm at all in reaching out. What I would, though, where possible, is make sure you're doing that as a consortium rather than individual practices and departments where you can go together as a collective to have those conversations. Otherwise, a legislator is having loads of conversations at the same time, trying to solve the same problem. Uh, okay. So go in as a consortium or collective in your local area so it's all lined up and it's all aligned rather than lots of conversations and lots of signposting referral pathways. That would be the dream. But reach out, reach out to your social subscribers, uh, look at the uh, G GP, GP consortiums who may already have those relationships. Um, that would be the way forward, but they are looking for how the legislators can integrate into the local health system. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's definitely what I want to hear. It's one of the things that, as well, those that are in, say, private practice and are somewhat feeling like they're in a business-related silo where they feel, you know, they, they, I do. These are the sorts of things that I would really encourage you to to pick up the phone to your, your local other providers that sometimes in some degree yep someone sprains their ankle on the high street of which these three practices granted you're competing for that business sometimes i get it i'm not naive enough to think that but fundamentally when it comes to these sorts of things and the stakes being high with regards to serving your local community's health needs then if you imagine that the three practices i'm describing were able to get together to at least have an audience with said local leisure center to make sure that there wasn't any sort of accidental exclusivity that occurred that means that you know, those aren't good business practices anyway. And therefore, you just want to get together and, and collaborate and recognize that that might be the way to, to do it and the way to unlock better healthcare for that area, of which often these therapists, they're, they're, they're living in that area, they're paying council tax in that area. You know, that's the sort of way in which we can start to have a communitarian approach to these things. Um, easier said than done, granted, but that's where you hold my feet to the fire, trying to make sure we come up with ideas and resources and, and pool our community to better serve that. It's exactly what this show is about and why Ben joins me on a monthly basis to talk through these things and give them appropriate, a specific airtime because we talk about them generally, but sometimes we need that, that pinpoint accuracy of which you're able to bring. So thanks as ever, mate, for joining me. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to next month already. Cheers, Jack. Speak soon, mate. Bye-bye.